I'm reading from Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31. It's entitled, The Rich Man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warm them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Well, let's pray together this morning. Lord God, as we open up your word and we start to talk about the things of scripture together, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be speaking to each and every one of us. Lord, will you challenge us? Lord, will you uh, cause us to repent of the things that we need to repent of? Will you cause us, Lord God, to live totally and utterly for you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? We thank you for your amazing grace. And we thank you that as we look at this subject, it is ultimately a message of hope. So, Lord God, will we hear that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to week two of our latest sermon series, If You Could Ask God One Question. And when we do, we think about maybe some of the topics and the subjects we're going to be looking at together. There are always things in life, aren't there, which people do not like to talk about, whether that is because things have hurt them in the past and there are things which actually are really painful to talk about, whether that is kind of the proverbial elephant in the room where there are subjects which we should talk about and we should think about and reason together about, but actually we don't want to do it because actually we're scared and we're a little bit reluctant because we don't want to offend anyone. And what we're going to be looking at today really does fall into that particular category. And we are going to be talking about a subject which many, many people struggle with, the concept of hell. 
And as Christians, we do shy away from it because we don't want to offend anyone and we don't want to appear judgmental by suggesting that some people may end up in hell. But what is hell? Does anyone actually end up in hell? And if so, who ends up in hell? And if there is such a place called hell, why on earth would a God who is a God of love choose to send people to hell? And as we open up this subject together today, I want to start really with a disclaimer at the beginning of it. This is not a message of fear, but this is a message of hope. This is not a turn or burn style message. Rather, this is a come to a loving God who has your best interests at heart and wants the best for you, but at the same time realising that our decisions in life have consequences and recognising that it is the gospel which confronts us with the ultimate choice to choose a relationship with the King of Heaven, live with him for all eternity, or choose to reject him and go our own way. So what exactly is hell as we open up this topic together this morning? Throughout the Bible, humanity is presented as being accountable for their own actions in life. It speaks of a time where every single person who has ever lived will stand before a holy God and will receive judgment. The Bible paints this picture that at that point some people will turn to God and look and seek mercy while others will turn away from him and find judgment. And scripture repeatedly puts humanity really into two groups right throughout the Bible, the wise and the foolish, the sheep and the goats, the children of darkness and the children of light and so on. And the New Testament brings that into even sharper focus when it talks about the day of judgment, where it talks about that at the end of time, that division of light and dark, of sheep and goats, will be both public and final. You see, when Christ returns and the dead are raised, all people will be uh, judged on their actions and their omissions in life. And the people of the nations will be separated. As a shepherd separates its sheep from the goats, the former will go the way of eternal life, while the latter, according to Scripture, will go the way of eternal punishment. And in the New Testament, the prospects of heaven and hell are sketched out even more graphically for us. When we talk about the term hell in the New Testament, what we're talking about is the standard term which is used, the term Gehenna. It's actually a physical place and it's referred to in the Bible. In the first instance, it's in the Valley of Hinnon, south of Jerusalem. And in the Old Testament, we see that this place is kind of notorious with child sacrifices. In the New Testament, Gehenna refers to that place south of Jerusalem. But at this time, it's a rubbish dump where all of the refuse from Jerusalem is bought. And there is a fire which is continually burned day and night and it never goes out. The New Testament speaks of hell as a place, the lake of fire into which, after the dead are raised, the unrighteous end up. And the New Testament, the imagery that comes from the New Testament when we talk about hell, largely falls into three categories, one of punishment, destruction, and exclusion. The language of punishment underscores, first, that hell is a place of pain and deprivation. 
The language of destruction speaks of a place which has utter ruin, disillusion, where people actually become less human. C.S. Lewis speaks about hell and speaks about people in hell of having the remains of something which is truly human. Hell is ultimately being cut off from Jesus and being kept from the kingdom of God. And to illustrate this whole subject, Jesus tells a story. We just heard it read to us uh, from Zoe. And the parable that Jesus tells involves two men, one who lived an earthly life of luxury and had everything that he could possibly wish for in life, and the other who lives a life of squalor and misery. In the account, the two men die. The man who lived in squalor ends up going to heaven, while the rich man's destination is completely and utterly different. The rich man ends up in a place of complete torment where there is no way out and no hope for him, while the poor man ends up in the presence of God. And what we see as we look at this parable, I believe, this morning is absolutely fascinating. You see, even when the rich man was in hell, he is astonishingly blind. He is in denial and he is blame-shifting. So we read these words from verse 24. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm which has been set in place so that those who want to go up from here cannot to you, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not come also to this place of torment. Notice this morning how the rich man responds when he is in hell. Number one, he strongly insinuates that the reason he is where he is is not actually his fault, but actually it's God's fault because God didn't give him enough information about things whilst he was living. Number two, he doesn't actually anywhere in this particular passage try to get out of hell, but what he does actually is he tries to get Lazarus in to hell. And number three, even in the pit of despair, he still has delusions of grandeur, doesn't he? Even when he is in the midst of torment, his pride still tells him that he's better than others. At least that's what he insinuates when he says, listen, can Lazarus just come down here and just help me out for a bit? Can he take some of my pain away? Can he tend to my needs? But perhaps... The most interesting point in this whole passage that we've heard read to us is that there is still a refusal of the truth and a rejection of God. Even when the rich man is in the pit of hell, he almost seems to say, well, it's not so bad. I really don't want to be up there with you. I just want Lazarus to come down here and give me a little bit of a break for a while. I still reject you, God. I just want someone to come and give me some relief for a while. Tim Keller says this about hell. Hell is a freely chosen identity based on something else other than God that goes on forever. But even while you disintegrate, you refuse to admit what hell is.
And I believe that this passage spells out to us very clearly today that when we talk about hell and we ask the question, if you're a God of love, why would you send people to hell? What we actually have to see is God doesn't send people to hell. Rather, hell is something which is growing in all of us. It's something which is growing in all of us that needs to be nipped in the bud. You see, God created hell to deal with the problem of evil. Hell is a place where once and for all, the subject and the problem of evil is confined so it can never uh, influence poisonously the things of God again. How can a God of love send people to hell? It's precisely that God is a God of love that hell exists in the first place. And in many respects, that's tremendously reassuring because it ultimately means that the evil in this world, everything that goes on, which is against the way God set things up, all of those evil atrocities that we see and we read about constantly in our papers will be brought to justice eventually. Even with our imperfect sense of justice, we still understand that crime needs to be punished, that there needs to be retribution when an evil is committed. That's why we get so angry when someone commits atrocities for their entire life and then dies and they're not brought to justice. We look at those situations and we think they got away with it. How on earth did they get away with it? That is not fair. That is not right. And now they got off scot-free. But here is the issue. When we talk about the problem of evil and we talk about evil needing to be dealt with, where do we draw the line? Do we want God to deal with the entire problem of evil or do we want God just to deal with a little bit of evil? Because if we say God needs to deal with evil in its entirety, that means by the same notion you and I are in trouble. Because all of us, at some point in our lives, have lived in a way which has offended a holy God and broken the commandments of God. We've lied, we've cheated, we've blasphemed, we've gossiped, we have done things which have not been right in God's sight. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible shows us that sin entered the world. God created this world and he created it perfectly. He created humans perfectly, he created animals perfectly, he created everything absolutely perfectly. But when he did, he gave humanity a choice. You can follow me, you can live in perfect relationship with me, you can live forever and be in my presence, or you can choose to go it alone and go it your own way. Do your own thing, but there are consequences. As a result, you'll die. As a result, you'll be cut off from me. As a result, you will be totally and utterly alone. The first humans chose the second option. And as a result, the Bible tells us that sin and death entered the world and the whole human race was infected by this sin disease. There's something growing in all of us which needs to be nipped in the bud. God doesn't send people to hell. Rather, hell is our default destination and we are in need of a rescuer. And that is where the great news comes in today. I said that this was a message of hope because by rights, God could have left us to rot in our sins. He could have left us to die. He could have left us ultimately on course for that destination, but he didn't. 
The Bible shows us that this God has a radical, unconditional love for us, a love so powerful that he was willing to pay the ultimate price to deal with the issue. You see, we read these words in Romans 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we deserve because of our sin in life is hell. We deserve to be cut off from God and apart from God forever. But his love for us is so fierce, it's so ferocious, it is so scandalous that the Bible tells us that whilst we were still his enemy, he came and he died for us to rescue us and to redeem us, that our destination ought not to be hell, but once again be in his presence forever. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and died a death on the cross that we deserve in order to pay for all of the wrong things that we have ever thought, said and done that the Bible calls sin. And as a result, at the cross, justice was done. Justice was served. The penalty was paid. And those who turn to Jesus can be free, can be forgiven, and have a clean slate. Jesus came and he paved a way that hell doesn't have to be our destination. And once again, we can be in his presence. That, this morning, church, is the essence of grace. I'm reminded of a story of a pastor who invited a frail old man one day to come and to give his testimony at the front of his church. The old man got up onto the stage and he started to tell his story. He told a story of a day where he took his son and his son's friend out fishing on a boat one day on a lake. They went out for the day, they were fishing, they were having a great time. And all of a sudden, whilst they were on the middle of the lake, a storm blew up. It was a ferocious storm. It was raining, it was windy. The boat was getting tossed from side to side. And as the boat was getting tossed from side to side, the two boys that were with this old man fell in the water. The old man had a split-second decision to make. He realised in that moment there was no way that he was going to be able to save both boys. So in that moment, he threw the rope that he had to his son's friend. He knew his son was a Christian. He knew his son was going to end up being with Jesus. So he tossed the rope that he had to his, friend's, his son's friend and pulled him onto the boat. That day, he lost his son but the boy survived. In tears as he was at the front of the church sharing his story, the pastor walks up beside him and he puts his arm around him. And he says, the little boy that got saved that day was me. The boy was saved at the expense of the man's only son. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us, except in God's situation, it wasn't a tragic accident which caused God to have a split-second decision and say, all right, what am I going to do and who am I going to save? Rather, Jesus willingly came, he willingly lived, he willingly laid down his life so that you and I could be free. But before he died... During his ministry, he pointed people to God. He told people what God was like. He told people what the kingdom of God was like. He told people how to live. And actually, one of the things he told people about was hell. Jesus actually spoke about hell more than any other person in the entire Bible. In fact, if we were to count up the verses where Jesus speaks about heaven and Jesus speaks about hell, Jesus actually speaks more about hell than he does about heaven. Why? 
He does it out of love. As a parent, it's easy, isn't it, to worry about your kids and about things that might happen to your kids. And you do your best to keep your kids safe all of the time. But no parent, no matter how good they are at being a parent, no matter how vigilant they are, can ever keep their kids safe 100% of the time. There will always be a time where you find yourself apart from your kids and your kids have to fend for themselves. And while you can't protect them 100% of the time, you can warn them. It's not a good idea, son, to play football in the middle of the road. It's not a good idea to stick a knife in a toaster to try to get your toast out. You'll get electrocuted if you do it. It is not a good idea to do this, that, or the other. And that's exactly what Jesus does when he talks about hell. He warns people of a clear and present danger. He uses language in the Gospels which is uncompromising and graphic at times because he wants them to listen. If God is a God of love, why does he send people to hell? The answer is that he doesn't send people to hell. Rather, hell is there to deal with injustice once and for all because God is a God of holiness. Sin has to be dealt with. But the good news is that Jesus went to excruciating lengths to save people. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, these words, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some understand slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Ultimately, it comes down to this. God will take you at your words. If you choose to turn to Jesus and allow him to come into your life and ask him to be Lord of your life, the promise is that God will accept you. He loves you so much that he will accept you as you are. There is a place in heaven for you. That is guaranteed when we invite Jesus into our life. It means that you are completely free and completely forgiven. Equally, if you choose to reject Jesus... And all that he has done, your entire life, God will honour that decision when we stand before him. And he will say, you chose that you didn't want to have a relationship with me, so I will honour your decision. The Bible tells us today that this God who we are singing about, this God who we are talking about, loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And there's a verse in the Old Testament, in the book of Deuteronomy, which says this. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life, so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life, and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was a word spoken to the people of Israel before they were about to enter the promised land to be a people who constantly chose God and constantly chose to follow him and give him everything they had. And you know, friends, today, wherever you are watching this from, the same choice 
which Moses laid before the people of Israel is the same choice that God lays before us. Will we be a people who choose to follow God, who choose life, who choose him. The Bible tells us that he does love us with that everlasting love, has our best interests at heart and knows the plans he has for us. Or will we be a people who choose to go it alone? My hope and my heart for everyone watching this today is that you will choose life in Jesus Christ, the way, the truth and the life and the only way to the Father. I'm going to pray and as I pray the band are going to come back up And we're going to respond together in worship. But I want to give you the chance to respond this morning to the gospel. If you're watching this and you don't know Jesus for yourself, if you've never come to a point where you have asked him into your life, if you have never said to God, God, I am choosing to live your way and your way alone, be Lord over my life. The good news is the Bible tells us that today is the day of salvation. That when we call to him, We can know his presence with us and know that forgiveness. So if you're watching this this morning and you don't know Jesus for yourself, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me this morning. I'll pray line by line. And wherever you are at right now, just in your homes, wherever you're watching this from, I'd encourage you to repeat this prayer with me. Father God, This morning, I come to you and acknowledge that I have done things in my life which have not been honouring to you. I thank you that in Jesus, I can know true, complete and utter forgiveness. I thank you that because of Jesus, hell doesn't have to be my final destination, but I can be with you forever. Jesus Christ, today I invite you into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord over all. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, I want to encourage you now in either our Facebook chat or our YouTube chat just to simply write the words, I prayed that prayer. And we would love to be in contact with you to help you on your next steps of a journey of faith with Jesus. Let me tell you again today, there is no better journey than following Jesus. It won't always be easy. There'll be heartache and heartbreak along the way, but in the midst of everything, you will know hope. You will know joy. You will know him. As the bands start to play, I'm going to pray for us all, and then we're going to respond in worship. And this morning again, if you feel God is saying something to you, wherever you're at, do write it in the chat so that we might share it with everyone watching let's pray together father god we thank you today for this amazing grace we thank you today that you paid the price for us and as a result wherever we're at right now we will give you the praise the glory and the honor which is due your name we thank you lord god that you tell us that you inhabit the praises of your people so as we sing in response holy spirit may you be speaking to your people Give them words and pictures to encourage and build up the church. May we know the joy of complete and utter forgiveness today as we worship. In Jesus' name, amen.